His ways, His truth, living a, a life that, that fears God, living a walking in love, and all of these wonderful things. But here's the wonderful thing about this. In John 14 and verse 26, Jesus says that I will send you a helper, which is the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name. And it says, and he will teach you all things. That means he will also teach us how to fear God. He will enable us to live a God-fearing life. So, what does a God-fearing life look like? Since we have the ability to fear God because it's in our DNA, and so we, since we have the Holy Ghost to teach us how to live a God-fearing life, and how we must choose every day to live that kind of life, go to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17. And again, this is a matter of choice, which means that we can choose every day to honor and respect God. Listen to what verse 17 says in the Amplified. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord. When? All the day long. So in other words, it doesn't mean that we have to fear God for an hour during the day. Or maybe even three hours. Or maybe every other day. Or maybe even every other week. Now he says to fear God all the days. Every day. Throughout your life. So living a God-fearing life is a lifestyle that is to be maintained throughout the day. Every day of your life. So again, let's look at what this fear of God looks like. Let's look at Nehemiah's life. When Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, he became the governor of all of Judah. And he was in his 12th year as governor. Now, when he got there, he not only went there to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which was a mess, which is still in ruin, but there was all kinds of other issues that he had to deal with. There was outside pressure, try to prevent him from rebuilding the walls, but there was also pressure within the city. It appears that the rich was getting richer and the poor was getting poorer. The people, the governors, the former governors that was before him would exploit the people. They would take advantage of the people. Even those that worked for the governor would also take advantage of the people. It was so bad that the people had to mortgage their lands, mortgage their fields, just to, just to get money and just to eat. Sometimes they had to sell their children into slavery. Just so they, so they can eat. That's how bad the situation was. But then comes Nehemiah. And he sees the situation. And he deals with everybody, especially those who were doing the taking advantage of and exploiting. And then he, in verse 15 of Nehemiah chapter 5, this is what it says. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people. Demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistant took advantage of the people, but this is, what, this is his attitude. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. Those who truly fear God will not follow the crowd or conform to the ways of the culture. When Nehemiah came into this town, into this city... He didn't go in to pick up where the other governors left off and continue to exploit 
and take advantage of the people. No, he went in to change things. He, he went in to bring reform. He went in to make things better and easier for the people. He put a stop to the exploitation. He put a stop to the rich trying to get richer off the backs of the poor. Why? Because he feared God. When we live our lives, we're going to be faced with challenges. Whether in, in the workplace, at schools, or wherever you go. And you're going to see people doing things that you know is wrong. And sometimes there's the ten, this tendency to want to do the things that they do. There are times when we feel pressure to do the things that they do. Sometimes we don't want to feel left out. Sometimes we don't want to look like the oddball. There's a, there's a saying that, and you may have heard it, it says, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. But when we find ourselves in no matter where we're at, whether in the workplace, whether it's the schools, whether at home, in our neighborhoods, if we fear God, we're not going to conform to the ways of the world. We're not going to conform to the ways of the neighborhood. We're not going to conform ourselves to the culture of the day. As a matter of fact, when Nehemiah confronted the people, he asked a question. After all that was said and done, after all the things were done, and he said, don't you fear God? He was surprised that nobody had to fear God because of the way they were acting. But Nehemiah was a perfect example of a man who feared God, who had a holy respect for God. That he was willing to do what is right and not conform to the ways that was done before. He didn't go into Judah and Jerusalem and, and it wasn't business as usual for him. He came in to make some changes. He came to make some reforms. In this world, there are people who, who cheat, who lie, who cut corners, who take advantage of others, who exploit others, people who conform to the ways and cultures of this world. But those that fear God do not do as they do because we fear God. There's a much higher authority that we answer to. There's a much higher accountability that we must face. And everything that we do, we need to understand that we do it in the fear of God. Let's look at another example. Cornelius. Let's look at Luke chapter, I mean Acts chapter 10. Look at verse 1. Those who fear God sets themselves apart from all the others. In verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment or Italian band. Now, a centurion was an officer who led a hundred legionnaires, Roman legionnaires. These Roman legionnaires were trained killers and were often brutal and cruel to the people that they conquered. But there was something different about this particular centurion. He was different from all the other Roman centurions. What made him so different from all the other Roman soldiers? What set him apart? Look at verse 2. He was a devout man and who feared God with all his household 
And he gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So we find here that he was a pious and godly man. A man who was dedicated and devoted to the things of God. He was also a generous man. A man who had compassion for the poor. He was also a man who had a consistent prayer life. Cornelius lived and behaved much differently than all the Roman soldiers around him simply because he feared God. And because he feared God, he demonstrated godly characteristics, which was compassion, generosity, uh, devoted to the things of God, and having a strong prayer life. It was Cornelius' lifestyle, the fact that he feared God, that set him apart from all the other Roman soldiers. Let me ask you, what sets you apart from your world? And that's a question only you can answer. But let's go on. Let's look at Job, for example. Let's look at him. Job chapter 1 and verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who reverently feared God and abstained from and, sh- abstained from and shunned evil because it was wrong. The God-fearing life loves what God loves and hates what God hates. The King James Version describes Job as a perfect and upright man. Now that word perfect does not mean that he is absolutely faultless and, or, or that he's perfectly sinless or he doesn't have tendencies to do evil. No, because Job is human just like everyone else. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that he didn't, fail, he didn't fall everyone now and then, but he didn't go out and practice sin. But the matter of fact, the scripture says that he avoided or abstained from evil. He made it a point to clear, to clear himself away from anything or all appearance of evil. And the fact that he was human doesn't mean that he was perfect. And I don't know of any person in this room or any person watching by live stream that can proclaim that they're perfect. Because if they did, then they would need to be laid hands on so we can cast that lying spirit out of them. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20. He said, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. So Job wasn't perfect, but he did everything he could to stay clear from anything that was evil. Job was a man who maintained his integrity, who also hated and stayed clear from all appearance of evil, keeping himself from doing what was wrong. Proverbs 8.13 says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And Job hated evil because God hated evil. He was called a man who feared God. As I mentioned to you before, to fear the Lord is a matter of choice. And Job chose not to do evil. And he did everything he could to stay away from evil. Just like the story of Joseph that we talked about last week. Joseph did everything possible to stay clear from evil. Even though it came knocking at his door, he, he ran from it. He avoided it. He did everything he possibly could because he feared God. But there's something else that we must learn also about Job. And, this, and I really need you to pay close, close attention to this because this is so important. 
Those who fear God never speak disrespectfully about God, no matter what happens in their lives. We learn from reading the book of Job, you all know the story of all that's happened to him. He lost his family, he lost his, his, his possessions, he's lost his servants, he lost his wealth, and he lost his health. But through it all, he never spoke a disrespectful word about God. Look at Job chapter 1 and verse 22. He says, in all this, Job, in all this meaning, all that he had gone through, Job did not sin nor charge God or blame God with wrong. Even on one occasion, when things got really bad, especially with his health, his own wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? But the scripture said that Job refused because he feared God. Job had, had, Job had such a deep respect for God that he became apprehensive in doing or saying anything that he knew that would displease God or show a disrespect for him. How do we speak about God to other people? You know, it's very easy to fall into that trap. You know, we, 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 we become disappointed. We become angry with God, disappointed with God. Uh, because God had not answered our prayers. How many you know what I'm talking about? And sometimes we verbalize our feelings and we express our feelings with our words and we tend to blame God and we tend to become angry with God and we tend to say some things that we should not say. But God, here's what we say. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Look at verse 13. We see an example of how we need to watch what we say about God. In the book of Malachi, we see that God, through the prophet Malachi, rebukes all those who spoke against him. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> this is God saying, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. And then he says, and you say, what have we spoken against you? When we say things out of anger, out of frustration, or out of disappointment, we say things and then we forget what we say. But God never forgets what we say. Because the question here is, you say, what have we spoken against you? What did we say? And then God says in verse uh, 14, see, you see, God recorded everything that they said. And so when they asked the question, what did we say? God simply played it back. He said, this is what you said. It's useless to serve God. He said, you said, what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance or commandments? You said, and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. Mourners being repentant. So God recorded everything that they said and he brought it to them and said, this is what you said. And you spoke harsh against me and therefore I rebuke you. Again, there's a tendency to say some harsh things whenever we're disappointed, frustrated, or angry with God. But know that every word that we say, every word that comes out of our mouth, God records. And so we have to be very careful not to get to the point where we feel that we can be free with our words and dishonor and disrespect God with those very words that we allow to come out of our mouths. 
Remember, the fear of God is a matter of choice. We choose to fear God with our words, with our actions, and with our thoughts, and with our attitudes. But look at Malachi. Why, and this is not in my, my notes, but in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16, God said this, Then those who fear the Lord spoke with each other. And the Lord listened to what they said in his presence. And a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. So God not only records all the harsh things that we say, but he also records all the things that we say out of the fear of God. All the wonderful words that we come out that, that's, that's respectful and honorable towards God. So I hope you're getting a clear picture of, of what, what a God-fearing life looks like. And we see this through, through many of these examples. And we can learn some practical things like those who truly fear God will not follow the crowd or conform to the ways of their culture. Or that the fear of God will also respect and show compassion to our fellow man the way Cornelius did. We also learn that those that fear God are set apart from all the others. You know, when I think about that, I think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you know the story? And remember the story how King Nebuchadnezzar commanded that every individual throughout the empire, throughout the kingdom, will fall to the ground whenever they hear the blaring of music and see the, the, the idol of the king pass by. Everyone had to bow down and worship that idol. Now picture this in your mind. Picture a city. And you see thousands of people all bowed down to the, on the ground. As this huge idol passes by. And all you see in the midst of all those people bowed down was three young men standing in defiance of the king. Well one would look at it as defiance. God sees it as a God-fearing act. Because they knew that to, to, to bow down before this idol was, would, would be disrespectful and dishonorable to God. Because God says, thou shalt not worship idols, but worship the Lord thy God. They knew that, and they refused to bow. So they were set apart from everybody else, and they stood out from the crowd. How many of you can stand out in a crowd. How many of you are set apart from all the others? The God-fearing life hates what God hates and loves what he loves. And those who fear God never speaks disrespectfully about God no matter what happens. Then we look at another example, Abraham. Those who fear God do whatever God says no matter what it is. You ever think about if God tells you to do something and it may be something difficult? You ever think about that? You say, what if God tells me to do this? Or what if God tells me to do that? You know, and then you begin to wonder, would I do it? We all know the story of Abraham. And in this story... God had blessed Abraham with a child that he had been praying for, and he waited 20 years to finally get this child. When this child was born, this child was born with promise. This child had a destiny. This child had a future 
and a promise. But then when the child reaches teen years, all of a sudden God is saying, I need you to sacrifice your son, your only son. Now, the scriptures don't say what Abraham's thoughts was. But I can only imagine him being human and him being a parent and seeing and, and knowing that he has to give up the one thing that he loved the most. The one thing that he had prayed for. The one thing that he waited 20 years to receive. And now that that son is here, now God is telling me that I need to offer him up as a sacrifice. But we do know that Abraham got up, took his son to the mountain, climbed up the mountain, built the altar, laid his son on the ground. On the altar, and at that moment, he was about to plunge the knife into his body in obedience to God's word. And we pick up in Genesis chapter 22, look at verse 12. As he was about to plunge that knife into his son's body, and he, meaning the angel, said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Watch this. For now I know you fear God. Said, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God was convinced that Abraham truly feared him. Does God know that we fear him? Is God convinced that your life is a life that honors and respects God? Is he convinced of that? Abraham lived such a God-fearing, he was such a God-fearing man that that he was willing to obey God to the utmost, no matter what. This kind of obedience is one that comes with no excuses, no questions, or no doubts. Now, I'm sure he was, a lot was going through his mind, but he also remembered the promise that God made through his son. So he said, in his mind, he was thinking, I don't know what God is doing. I don't know how all this is going to turn out. But I believe that God's going to work this out some way, somehow, because he made a promise concerning my son. Even if it meant raising him up from the dead, that was his faith speaking. And therefore, he obeyed God, and just before he plunged that knife, God said, okay, I'm convinced. Now I know you do honor me and respect me. Does God feel that about us? What if God spoke to you? And told you to do something that was difficult. What if God spoke to you and told you to give up something that you hold such value? Something that you care about more, uh, the most. And perhaps maybe God has already spoken to you. About giving up something that you love. Or something that you cherish. Something that you value. What would your answer be? If we fear God, then we will do what God tells us to do, no matter what it is. When we obey God, there's a sense of confidence and security that we trust and obey God. Look at Proverbs chapter 14. Look at verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence that is, there is security, and his children would have a place of refuge, a place where no one can mess with you, a place that no one can harm you, a place that no one can, can hurt you. It's a place of protection. 
When we trust God, there's a sense of security that God's going to back his, back his word up and back us up. So if God is telling you to give up something, know that God's got your back. Know that there's a sense of security in knowing that God's going to work everything out if you just trust him. Something else that's really important to know about living and walking in the fear of God. And that is to walk with the awareness of his presence in our lives. To always be aware of his presence because when you're aware of his presence, then you become aware of your thoughts. You become aware of your own attitude. You become aware of your own actions. And this is what I was dealing with because I realized that as I was preparing this message, God was speaking to me where I was and how I needed to walk in the fear of God in all areas of my life. I began to start becoming more aware of how I thought and what I said. And I become very careful and apprehensive about saying or doing anything that's going to displease him. And you see, that's what an awareness of God will do. It will cause you to walk in the fear of God by doing everything that you know is respectful and honorable to God. And it doesn't matter where you are, especially when you're alone at home behind closed doors. Many teenagers, when they leave home, whether it's going to college, whether it's going into the military or out in the workforce, there's this sense of freedom and independence that they gain. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We were, all, we were all young and we were all teenagers before. And when I left home, after graduating from high school, I went right into the army. Now, of course, the first eight weeks, there was no freedom and there was no independence because it was very structured. And every moment of my life for the eight weeks was being controlled. But after that, when I, was, when I was, went to a permanent duty station over in Germany, all of a sudden I had this freedom. And many teenagers have that same freedom and sense of independence when they go off to college. And then they develop this attitude where now they can do whatever they want to. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Why do they think that they can... Well, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself. When we get alone and we have this attitude where we can do whatever we want like I did you know then all of a sudden we begin to start living the college life and, and or the military life where there's drinking and there's partying and then there's drugs and there's a life of promiscuity all of these things and then the question we have to ask ourselves is why do they think they can get away with that it's because there's no fear of retribution there's no fear of punishment or reprimand because they're far away from their parents and from their parents' discipline and from their parents' you know, influence. Because the parents are miles away. They feel they can do whatever they want. Now, whenever we start to feel that way, that we're far enough away from God and that, that we don't fear God because he's too far away and we feel like we're not under his influence, 
and because God is not there. Then we reach the place where now we've distanced ourselves from God and we stop hearing his voice. But it doesn't mean that God is not there. It does not mean that God is not present. One of God's names is El Roy, R-O-I, which means the God who sees me. And many times when we live our lives and when we do things that we know we shouldn't do, see, that's that, that attitude where you think you can do whatever you want and think that God is not there or not watching. But the scripture says in Proverbs 15 and verse 3 that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil as well as the good. For God to be able to see what you do with our lives means that he is present. And I'm saying this because simply because if we're aware of his presence, if we know that God is watching then should we not walk in the fear of God? Should we not live a life that honors and respects Him? Because we're aware of Him? We're, we're, we're conscious of Him? Look at, uh, look at Psalm 139. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Now let me stop there. The fact that God knows us and the fact that God knows our sitting and our rising. In other words, he knows everything that we do throughout the day. And even knows our thoughts afar off. Tells you that how much involved God is in your life. Verse 3 says, you comprehend my path. In other words, you know the direction I take. You know the decisions I make. You know every turn I make. And he says, they know my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Now look at verse 7 of Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Jonah thought that he can get far away from God. And escape from him, from his presence, only to find out that God was there no matter, every, every turn he made, he found out that God was already there. The fear of the Lord is a continual awareness of his presence and that we are accountable to him, which affects every attitude and action in our lives. Doesn't mean that we have to walk around cringing or shaking in fear. But it does mean that we are to continually be aware of his presence so that we can be aware of ourselves, our actions and our behavior, so that whatever we do, we do it to honor and respect the Lord. Now, with the time that we have remaining, let's look at some of the benefits of living a God-fearing life. Go to Psalm 34 and look at verses 9 through 10. One of the many benefits of walking and living in the fear of God is having no lack. Verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. 
They will have all that they need to live successfully as Christians. Psalm 31, let's look at verse 19. Another benefit of living a godly, a God-fearing life says this, God prepares good things for them. Verse 19 says, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Let's go on. Look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. So one of the wonderful benefits of, uh, of a God-fearing life is many long days, many years, years that added to our lives. How many want long life? We all do. Live a God-fearing life. And he promises to add length to your life. Look at Proverbs 14 and verse 16. The fear of God enables a person to avoid evil. A wise man, may, a wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. Proverbs 16, 6 says, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Proverbs 14 and verse 27. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And then in Proverbs 22 and verse 4. But by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And in Proverbs 14 and verse 26. And I read this to you earlier. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have peace or a place of refuge. There's security. There, there's, there's strength. There's refuge. There's protection when we fear God. Psalm 112 in verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, or praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. There's blessings when we fear God. Psalm 128.1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. In Psalm 33 and verse 18, he says, His eyes are on those who fear God. He says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his mercy. And then finally, he will fulfill our desires and our prayers will be heard. Psalm 145 and 19 says, And he will fulfill the desires of those who fear him, and he will also hear their cry and save them. And thus, these are just some of the benefits that the Bible talks about for those who live a, a God-fearing life. And so I pray that something is stirred in your heart that's caused you to become aware of your own attitude, of your own actions, and of your own thoughts. When it comes to God, I, I pray that you begin to realize that God is the centerpiece of your life and you revolve around him and not he revolving around you. I pray that you begin to make a decision, a conscious decision every day, making a choice to live a life that is God fearing, a life that is respectful to God. <clears throat> so that whenever you're tempted to do something that is wrong, because of your fear of God, you become apprehensive in, doing, in making sure that you don't do or say something that will be dishonorable and disrespectful to God. 
To fear God is simply a deep respect, reverence, and awe for who he is and for what he's done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words that you shared with us, Lord. We pray, Father God, that these words will sink deep into our hearts and into our spirit. We pray, Father God, that these words will will play over and over in our hearts and in our spirit, man. Even when we go home, Lord God, when we get up in the morning, Lord God, when we go to work tomorrow, Father, those words will still be ringing loudly in our hearts. Father, we pray, Lord, that you help us to make a conscious decision every day and to be intentional, Lord God, to live life that honors you and respects you. Father, we ask that you forgive us if we lived our lives casually, Lord God, in such a way that showed dishonor and disrespect. We pray, Father God, that as we repent from all of what we've done that disrespected you and dishonored you in any way, and Lord, that you not only forgive us, Father God, but restore us back to right relationship with you. We pray, Father God, that each day our lives will demonstrate a godly fear in our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, and our actions. Father, help us to be aware of your presence every day of our lives. Help us, Lord God, to know that no matter what we do in life, where we're at, or what we're surrounded with, Father, that you're there. Help us to be conscious of your presence. Help us to be conscious of your watchful eye. And let us live a life, Lord God, that will honor you and respect you and give you all the reverence and praise that you so deserve. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, right now for all that has been said and done. Thank you, Father God, for speaking to our hearts tonight. And, Lord, thank you in the name of Jesus for solidifying these words into our hearts, deep into our hearts. And, Lord God, that we set out to apply them and be obedient to your word. And for this, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.